Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, Floyd's Rising. I'm Sabretooth, I collect NFTs for a living, and with me is Kizu, who's a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. We interview artists, collectors, and other interesting people in the NFT space. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Floor is Rising. With me here today is Kizu. And we have a special guest today, Stuart Lippingo, otherwise known as Stuzor. He has joined the NFT scene in the past 12 months. But before that, he is a very influential artist um, to a number of people. And we'll get that into that into the podcast. But uh, Stuart, welcome. And tell us, first up, how did you get into NFTs? Hey, thanks for having me on here. It was actually around uh, almost one year ago, actually, that I got into NFTs. I started seeing some of the, the sales that were going on. And I was kind of like, whoa, hang on now. People are buying our work for, for this amount of money. Because before NFTs, you have to realize like pretty much everyone was in the client-based world a lot of us were making okay money. Some of us were doing better than others. Some not so much, but it wasn't anything where like it was this crazy amount of money. And so I saw this about one year ago and that's kind of what caught my eye. And I was like, man, okay, maybe I can give this a shot and kind of see what happens. I'll preface that entire October when I kind of got into it with just saying it's important to check your emails because about a year before that I had Maker's Place and uh, Nifty Gateway, I think, reach out to me and I ignore those emails. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, that's that's kind of how I got into it. I couldn't help notice by looking at your work on, on your various platforms and your Instagram, of course. Obviously, I think there's a very strong sci-fi aesthetic. A lot of the works do feel like they're stills from some kind of futuristic, either utopian or dystopian film. I noticed that some of the works actually are paired with music, bands like Boards of Canada, who I love, actually. Is there a kind of overarching kind of philosophy or school of thought or any like very important influences that have remained consistent in, in your output? In my artwork and, and stuff like that, I'm trying to imagine this universe, essentially, this world where you kind of have the... I guess the light and the dark side of this, whether it's a you know solar system or just one planet or, or whatnot, I haven't quite figured that part out yet, but kind of like where all of these elements, all of these creatures and people kind of all live in the same realm. And so I kind of like the, the, the ideas of like hidden pasts and, and things aren't what you, you know, would think that they would be. History may not be exactly what you think type of scenarios. And so when I'm making my stuff, I kind of try to like think what maybe that would have been like for us or or whatever, something like that, and and kind of just play off that idea. Because I don't know, I think it's a cool concept. I think it has a cool sci-fi vibe. I, I try to make it where it kind of appeals to everyone, I guess, in a way. And um, it, music definitely absolutely has a part to play in mm-hmm. what I'm creating. Because honestly, what I'm listening to that day a lot of times influences what I will create that day. So for example, if I'm listening to Hans Zimmer or something like that, it's maybe more of a cinematic looking scene. Or if I'm listening to Boards of Canada, maybe it's more like a weird kind of 
abstract piece or, or maybe Tyco or tool. I listen to tool a lot and it's more, I really like tools, music videos from back in the nineties. The They're very interesting. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of those, but they have a, a song called sober and that music video is, is way out there. It's awesome. Like I love it, but it's definitely weird. So <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of draw inspiration from all those kinds of things. And I try to keep, like I said, kind of a uh, constant feel throughout my pieces, whether it's color or subject or so, something like that. Yeah. I remember an interview you did three years back before you got into NFTs and you're talking about your journey from, you know, the various tool sets you sort of started out using Maya 3D you tried out like 3ds max uh, and now you're on sort of cinema 4d how do you think about like the tools that you're using and how they shape your art is it that you're really looking at what can you do with the tool or are you looking at it more like what i want to do and then i kind of seek out the tools to to do that yeah that's a that's a great question actually because i've never thought about that until you kind of put it in that terminology is do i use the tools for me or do i find the tools that I need to get my idea across. And um, so like you're saying, I did start off in Maya actually back in 2007. And I did try 3ds Max very, very briefly. And I ended up kind of landing on cinema just because the user interface was pretty easy and it did what I wanted it to do fairly fast. And then I found Octane Render because you have to keep in mind before Octane, which is a GPU render engine, you would have to wait, you would hit render, you'd wait for your image to render, which would take, you know, maybe five to 10 minutes. And you're like, Oh, crap, you know, my displacement map doesn't look right. Okay, I'll fix that. Now I hit render again. And then, you know, so it was that process, and it took a long time. And then if you wanted to render an animation, it would take 10 minutes per frame. And you know, so 10 minutes per frame, each frame, you have to have 30 frames for one second, and then you can do the math and you can add that up. And it just, you know, gets crazy. So when the Octane came out, it came out for Cinema 4D. So I kind of challenged myself to really dive into Cinema, really dive into Octane. And I was blown away at the speed and the live update of lighting and, and shadow and fog. And so I saw people, actually, it was back in, the, it was back in late 2015, I kind of stumbled onto his work. And I was like, man, he's making these one, these images, like one image a day. Like, what the heck is he using to do this? And I saw it with Cinema. I saw it was Octane. And that's kind of what jump-started me into trying to really learn Cinema and really learn Octane. And so from there, I think what I've been trying to do is I try to find, if I have an idea, I'll try to find plugins or add-ons to Cinema that get my idea across. So for example, if I need to use something called X-Particles, I'll use that and I get a particle simulation. Or if I need to use Forrester, for plants or Quixel, which is a great tool. I use that all the time. Quixel is a, uh, Quixel bridge is made by Quixel. And what it does is it basically has an entire library of assets of 3D scans to textures. And uh, if you have an Unreal account, then you get all of that for free, essentially. And so I've been trying to learn Unreal Engine now as well, because what's really cool about that, I don't know if you guys have seen like the Unreal Engine 5 demos or whatnot, but it's getting the gaming engine is getting so close and so good to looking like a actual render engine like Octane and it's real time. So you build your scene 
and you just hit play and you're walking through this, this scene that's lit beautifully and it has fog in it and it has God rays coming out of it and it has particle simulations and it's all real time. It's just so mind blowing. And so I've been trying to learn Unreal Engine 5 um, kind of in my off time as well. So yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of tools out there and I try to take advantage as best I can and learn as many of these tools as I can to, to try and get my ideas across. I think you've probably um, observed the, the same thing where you, you know, the artists that have their success deserve it. But for every one such artist, there may be three or four or five others that haven't got that recognition. And maybe the, the successful artists themselves, they're not necessarily trying to hide or be dishonest about their inspirations, but they just happen to have the bigger clout, <laughs> the bigger following. Right. For me, like, honestly, and I was doing so back in January, I think I made my first sale on Super Rare and it really like it took off. And honestly, from like a, a lot of 2020 and even some of 2019, I had people saying, hey, you should get into NFTs. You should sell your stuff on blah, blah, blah. And so I just kind of ignored. It. I was like, yeah, right. That sounds like I mean, to be fair, I didn't know how cryptocurrency worked. I was like, what's this fake money? I don't give a crap about that. Like I, I didn't, you know, I, I had no idea of like what it was. And so like for me. February, let's see, January, February, March, April were really good months for me. Like I was posting stuff up and selling it within a day. I was selling it within two days, doing really well. And then for whatever reason, like April came and it just, it just like stopped, like cold turkey just stopped. Like no one was buying anything. Now I'm not saying there weren't secondary sales on like nifty and stuff like that, but if for whatever reason, it just completely stopped. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm going to take a break. And I did, let's see, May, June. And then I think I came back in July and posted some stuff that was very popular on Twitter and on Instagram. And it just never sold. And I didn't even put uh, like reserves on it or anything. I mean, I just put it out there to make an offer. Nothing happened. And so I was like, okay, this is super weird. <laughs> and so I like, I don't know if like these bigger collectors, like get set on specific artists. And I, I mean, I'm sure they do. Like they get set on specific artists and then like they focus mainly on their work and then they don't like branch out anymore. I'm not, see, I don't know how any, I'm still trying to learn whenever my friends here locally ask me, Hey, how do NFTs work? I'm like, dude, I really don't even know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Cause like, for me, it's been such a weird, you'd think since I had a huge following on Instagram and then, you know, I've got an okay following on Twitter that sales would come fairly easy for me. That's not the case, like, especially in, like not in the past several months. And so I'm still trying to figure out uh, like my own kind of place in the whole NFT community, because I have people, I have very good friends of mine that will just sell one of ones. There's no utility to them. There's no, I mean, there's nothing that goes along with it. They just sell their artwork and it just sells for an incredible amount of money and that's it. And I'll do that like every two weeks. And then I have friends that sell more often, but they have more utility and then they sell pretty good. And then there's everything in between. And so <laughs> I have no clue. Like I, I'm still trying to figure the whole thing out, to be honest. This is my personal opinion that a huge part of NFTs today is speculation premium, right? So if you, if you, if you take an NFT and it costs like, let's say one ether, the majority of that is speculation premium meaning that people are buying it at a premium and that premium basically says that this thing will go up and that if there was a guarantee that something wouldn't go up, that 
the prices would be a lot lower than they are. Based on this theory, what it basically says is that something that's sold for less money and that people buy it, and then that speculation premium turns into sort of actual premium and things go up. The theory of flexibility says that as things go up, people expect it to go up. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. when things are sold for a, a low amount, it kind of goes up and then it proves that that was correct. And then a narrative forms around these things and it keeps going up. Whereas I've seen things that have been sold at a kind of a fair price stop going up and in fact crashes the market, right? And so the, the most mm. famous example of this is art blocks, right? The generative art platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They sold their works for 0.1 ETH for the longest period of time. And there was huge, you know, bot wars, gas wars, and all this sort of thing. And as a control to basically stop this, what they did was they went to a Dutch auction, right? And so they started at a very high price and it went down. Mm. And basically as soon as this happened, the entire market stopped. And not just stopped, but started going down, right? <laughs> Things were now mm-hmm. decreasing in price. And so by taking a speculation premium out of the whole NFT market, basically things just started declining and hasn't really recovered up to this point. So, you know, that's an interesting hot take as to how the, how the whole thing uh, could possibly be explained. But delving sort of deeper, I guess, what percentage of your time right now would you say is dedicated to sort of client work and what percentage of time is sort of focused on your own sort of art slash NFT work right now? So basically from 2016 to this year, about five and a half years, I was doing client work and I was doing my everyday project, obviously every single day. And so through holidays, you know, weekends, being sick, having a child being born, like all this stuff I was working, <laughs> I was working and creating art every single day. And so this year in July, I basically said, okay, I'm done doing my everyday project. Finally, I'm going to be done doing, I, I've done well enough this year where I could say, I am going to now take the rest of the year off. And so really right now I'm focusing on learning new tools. So like Unreal Engine and just creating my own artwork when I feel that creative spark hit. So honestly, it's super boring right now for me. Like, well, from what others probably perspective is like, for me, it's, it's great. Cause I'm, it's, I'm like I said, after five years, I'm finally getting to kind of relax and hit the brakes a little bit. Cause I've been going, you know, a hundred miles an hour for five years with no breaks. I mean, on vacation, have my computer with me doing stuff. I mean, I can't, I can't really complain cause Mike's been doing it for 14 years, but uh, yeah. So like right now, really what I'm focused on um, is just doing uh, my own stuff and kind of like learning new tools. I, I have had a client come to me who I worked with last year and he's working on some crazy like real life sci-fi stuff that I'm probably going to end up helping here this year. But I did tell him like right now at this exact moment, I'm just kind of taking a break. And so he was like, okay, understandable. Please hit me up whenever you're done. And so I'll probably jump into that work here a little later this year. But yeah, for right now, I'm just kind of not doing anything really except learning. Is there a specific effect that you want to create that these tools will allow you to to use in the work? Or is it just uh, kind of like accumulating tools in your toolbox? So kind of both. I have this far-reaching plan that I would like, and I've had a lot of people ask me about this, you know, hey, it'd be really cool if you built these worlds in kind of an augmented reality where you can slap on some VR headsets and like walk around in them. And so my goal would be to create these worlds in Unreal 
where they are able to be experienced with a virtual reality scenario. That would be the end goal for kind of what I'm learning Unreal for. Then the second point of your question is, I think just having as many tools under my belt as possible would also be something that I think would be very beneficial. I mean, any artist, right, that's in the digital side of things needs to know. It's like you're always learning, right? There's so many tools out there. There's, you know, for me, it would be like, it's funny. I've been trying to learn ZBrush since 2008. So like ZBrush and Substance Designer and Marvelous Designer and, and Embergen and like X Particles and like all these different, because all of those things can go into all of my work um, in some regard. So, and and then probably even translated into Unreal It's at some point. So yeah, it's kind of, it kind of all kind of blends together. Have you ever thought about what your, you know, future kind of ideal role would be in terms of a niche that you think personality-wise, talent-wise, skills-wise, that you would possibly be the most suited for? Yeah, my personality and, and the way I work, I found, because I've run teams before with a few different people on it. And it would be, I think it'd be cool to be like a creative director slash art director and in some aspect to some of these projects, because... I like directing a vision of a project, but then I also like getting my hands like on the project and helping design, like getting into the 3D program and and stuff like that. And uh, I just like working with, you know, I have a handful of really good friends of mine that have helped me in the past and work on stuff. And it's just fun being able to collaborate with people. So yeah, I think, uh, I think something like that would be really cool. It's hard for me to figure out like personally, like what I want to get out of it long-term. Like you were saying, it's so, (laughs) it moves like one week is like two months and like NFT land, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, I think, I don't know, something like that would be kind of cool, I think. Something that most people know from your bio, which is that you've done every day for the past five years. Could you, you know, help our listeners understand and and sort of the everyday is sort of made famous by by people um, mm-hmm. because it kind of formed you know every single everyday that is unformed the the best selling NFT uh, of all time um, with this mm-hmm. five thousand and and a previous guest on our show Josh Pierce also sort of subscribed to that yeah. everyday sort of process mm-hmm. so to speak can, can you walk us through like how you found that particular process what sort of attracted you to sort of commit to doing that and. And I think it's sort of people, yourself, sort of Josh, you know, everyone who's sort of committed to that everyday process. It's, it's, it really is kind of like a niche sort of art movement in, in, a, in a very Man. sort of niche sort of digital art sort of space. Can you yeah, just help me understand like what, you know, sure. what sort of attracted you to that? Like, why did you start doing that? Why do you keep doing that? Yeah. So I started out doing it when I was at my full-time job and I started doing it during my lunch hour. I had my my MacBook, I had Cinema on it, I had Octane on it. So essentially, I started doing it as stress relief, to be honest. <laughs> it was just one of those things where I could put on headphones, I could sit down, I could block out everything else, and I could create these little worlds. And then with the birth of GPU rendering, it was an instantaneous thing. So I was like, man, this is sweet. So on top of that, on top of the being stress relieving part, then there was, you practice at anything, you just get better at it, more fluid at what you're working with. You're faster, you're you're able to, to think on the fly. And then being in a digital agency, uh, working with di- different digital agencies before doing this, I knew that speed and creating a project along with quality was a very sought after thing. 
And so I wanted to get again, faster at these programs and just kind of know the tools. So for me, it was all these kinds of different things. So stress relieving, get better at the project or get better at cinema, train your eye, what looks good, what doesn't scale lighting. And on top of that, doing them every day. Okay. Now you have, uh, and just posted on Instagram. Now you have saturation in the market. Now, again, this is back in 2016. So this is kind of people was doing it at the time, but there were not a whole lot of other artists doing it at that time. And so you kind of got your stuff blasted out there and people were seeing it every day. People were sharing it. This is whenever you would like something on Instagram and people could see what you were liking. If you guys remember that. So it was getting shared and posted everywhere. So now on top of these other things, you're learning stress relieving, you're now getting client work because clients are seeing, oh my gosh, he's creating these quality pieces every single day. So obviously he's fast at what he's doing and he knows what he's like, he knows the tools. So we can call on him to get him to turn stuff around a lot faster. So agencies are now coming to me as an individual, as opposed to an agency having to go to an art agency and having to go through business meetings and round revisions and all this stuff and waiting four weeks to get something to have their project finished. And now they can come to me and I can get it done in a day and have revisions done the next day. And, you know, they don't have to pay a hundred thousand dollars to do something like that now. And so it actually was very beneficial in, in many regards. So yeah, that's kind of why I started. Um, again, I just started because I wanted to get stress relieving, but those other things built on top of that, getting better at it, building a client base, building your online presence and stuff like that. So a lot of those goals, you, you've kind of met them. Maybe you don't need to achieve them anymore. So I don't as much now. <laughs> like if I have an idea, if I have an idea, like for example, yesterday it was tile, one was called gold digger. And it was because I was like, I've, I've had some people reach out to me here lately since NFTs have blown up that I haven't talked to in years and been like, Hey, let's get something to eat or let's get do lunch or something. I'd like to pick your brain about NFTs. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, <laughs> so it, it's sometimes it's just like this little piece based on like kind of what's going on in my life. There's no, I don't really get anything out of it anymore. Um, as far as like the other stuff is like, it's something that I just kind of want to get off my chest or just speak my mind about or something like that really. Or it might just be, Hey, I feel like creating something today, put on some music and make something like, I don't, I want to take a break from, Unreal Engine, and I want to try, I, I just want to jump into cinema and just make something today. So it's not as much, like you were saying, there's not really, since I've kind of covered all those bases, it's just now for, for fun, essentially. <laughs> we always ask our guests this question, and we actually don't specify whether it's, you know, traditional art or crypto art, but who is your favorite artist? <laughs> so I would have to go with my main person that got me started in this whole realm of everything that have to be people. Yeah. He's been supportive of my stuff over the past several years and he's a good dude. And I've always enjoyed his work uh, from all the way back when, you know, I first started seeing his stuff in 2015 up to his like crazy Donald Trump and Kim Jong posts <laughs> all the way up to what he's doing now. And uh, yeah, I think he's a, I, I think he's a great artist. So, yeah. Awesome. Stuart, thank you for joining us on Flo's Rise. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, you guys. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Flo's Rising. If you enjoy the podcast, please 
subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, and just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising.